This is a recording from a sermon from Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit lightsandiego.com. And so we are ending our series tonight on Sabbath, and we've spent the last, uh, it's been a short one, the last two Sundays really diving into the Old Testament about the practice of Sabbath. And if you're new to, to church or the Bible, and Sabbath just sounds kind of like a foreign word, uh, it is the, the Judeo-Christian practice of taking a day off a week to worship God. It's all Sabbath is. And it's been instituted not just from the time of the early scriptures, but from the time of creation. It talks about how God rested on the seventh day and he invited people into it. And so um, we spent the last two weeks talking about really two different elements of Sabbath. Number one is that Sabbath is a gift. We talked about the very first day of humans' existence was rest. And the reason we talked about is there is nothing to celebrate other than God's work and his presence. And that's exactly what Sabbath does. It reminds, it removes our identity from our work, which is sometimes hard to do. And it reminds us of all that God has done for us. And so we talked about Sabbath as a gift. The second thing we talked about as we look at the Old Testament Sabbath is we talked about Sabbath is about freedom. And if you remember, the command to Sabbath, the Jewish practice of Sabbath, was given to the Israelites right after they spent 430 years enslaved under Egyptian rule. And the reason why Sabbath was such a big practice for them is because it was, a rem- it was for them to remember they were not slaves anymore. Because under the Egyptian rule, they never had a day off. They had to work tirelessly with under-resourced and as brutal and inhumane like all slavery is. And so when God instituted Sabbath, it was to not only remove Israel from Egypt, it was to remove Egypt from Israel. It was to remind them they are a free people. And so last week we talked about how although we might not have a pharaoh or an, an Egyptian regime over us, every single one of us find ourselves enslaved to things like our phones, our jobs, um, things uh, that just take, literally we bow our calendars to, these things. And so it's been an interesting week for me because at, right after I preached that sermon, these last couple sermons, Sabbath is a gift. Sabbath is about freedom. Uh, God's tested me. So we move into this new house, and which we don't have internet, and at and is like, okay, we're going to be there in a week. I'm like, okay, I can do a week without internet, you know? Um, we can, I can tether my phone, so I'm good. And so we're, we're, I'm kind of making my way throughout that. And then yesterday when the internet's supposed to come, it's like everyone was just like on like pins and needles, like we, we miss internet, like we need it for everything and my, my work and the computers and the TV and my, our phones don't have good service in the house. And so we're like, finally, internet is gonna be back in our house and he doesn't come. And so we're like, Oh man, like, and so, and we find out it's not coming for another few days. And I'm, I'm, at this point, I'm like frustrated because we had like this buildup, like our life was going to be given back to us. Uh, and then last night, my phone breaks. And it was so funny because last night, I'm thinking about today, and I'm like, I haven't, I've texted a dozen people. My sermon's not ready. There's just so many things going on. And I'm realizing how much 
my sermon last week needed to be for me. Like, I was having a forced Sabbath. No phone, no internet, can't find my printer in my house. I mean, there's nothing. I'm just like archaic, we're back to the Stone Age kind of stuff. If I want to go, if I want to send an email, I have to drive to the coffee shop to send it. Like, this is my life right now. And And you know what it feels like? It feels like a curse, not a gift. And I was thinking back, and I'm like, man, maybe... Maybe Sabbath is harder than we all realized. Maybe really resting and turning off and practicing the freedom and the gift of disconnecting from all of these worldly pressures and delighting in the presence of God may sound idealistic and and, and just kind of pleasant theologically, but the practice of it. And so today it's been my my discipline to thank God for the no internet, broken phone kind of day I'm having. And I just want to tell you, it's been an exercise, but I think that God has met me today in a very unique way. And I'm excited for tonight because I'm coming from a place, maybe not of a Sabbath out of practice, but out of being forced into it, uh, that Jesus gets to show up, I think, in a unique way in my life and hopefully tonight through our message. Because tonight, it's a really important night, because if you notice, we spent the last two weeks a lot in the Old Testament, but one of the things we have not talked about, which is something that comes up a lot, is why, if this is such a big principle in Scripture, why don't we practice the Sabbath? And again, if you knew, like, what do you mean we don't practice the Sabbath? We, we don't, because the Sabbath, according to Scripture, is Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown. It's a 24-hour period where nothing happens. You don't light a fire. You don't walk certain amounts of distance. We, we don't practice the Sabbath. And so we have a lot of reconciling to do tonight. What do we do with the Sabbath? Why, why do we meet on Sundays, not Saturdays, when the Jews go to synagogue on Saturday on their Sabbath to worship the Lord? Why has the church, not just recently, but in all of its history, gone to gather on Sundays? And so we have to kind of come to uh, a new understanding tonight. And so tonight's title of the message is this, Sabbath is about Jesus. So we're going to we're going to take everything we've learned from the Old Testament, and we're going to see Jesus' relationship with the Sabbath. Now, it's important things for you to notice. Jesus Sabbathed. He was a Jew. And some of you guys don't know that, but Jesus was practiced the lifestyle and the heritage and the lineage of the Jewish people. And so he would go to synagogue on the Sabbath day. But his how he Sabbathed, the things that he would allow and the things that he would do were incredibly provocative and countercultural for the Jews of that day. So we're going we're gonna to start tonight by reading um, a passage out of Matthew 12 about Jesus and a couple of things he gets in trouble for, uh, for doing on the Sabbath. And then we're going to just start unpacking the thing, what does Jesus have to do with the Sabbath? And uh, I've been most excited about tonight because if we don't get tonight, then everything we've talked about really does not matter as much as it should. And so let's, uh, let's open your Bible to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to read the first 14 verses, and then we're going to dive in. Matthew 12 says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. 
When the Pharisees saw this, they said to them, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrated the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. But the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to him, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as the sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. This is a big deal for the Jewish people. And the reason why the Sabbath was such a big deal is because under this time, this is hundreds and hundreds of years after Moses has led them out of Israel, they are now enslaved again, this time under the Roman Empire, and they have been enslaved for over 700 years at this point. And so think about this. This is a people with no land, with no ownership, with no uh, sense of government, but yet they remain a people to this day, one of the most strongest uh, ethnically secure people in the world, despite most of their existence has been without a land to attach to. And one of the reasons for that is because of Sabbath. You see, no matter where you are in the world, if you are a Jew, you Sabbath. And as long as you are in exile, you are enslaved, as long as you can rest, you still belong to your people. And so this is the reason why they're so upset that they're actually plotting to kill Jesus over the Sabbath is because him undermining the Sabbath is them, him undermining for in their imagination, in their hearts, undermining everything that holds them together. If you take away the Sabbath, if you mess with the Sabbath, what else do we have to hold on to? We have nothing anymore. We've recently just been allowed to build synagogues, but there's no more real temple like there was in Solomon's age. We have no real rights. All we have is the Sabbath, and you're messing with it. Because the Jewish people were so concerned about the Sabbath is they took the laws within the Mosaic law, which were not that many, but they were strong, right? In the Ten Commandments, it talks about how we have to have a Sabbath of the Lord, and they began to build rules around them. They actually built 39 rules around the Sabbath of exactly what you can do and what you can't. This is not in the Bible, but for them, it was kind of like their constitution. It was kind of the things that they follow. This is what makes us us. This is how we rest. This is how we Sabbath. And under those 39 rules, of the Melkot, they had just rule after rule after rule after rule. And so when they come to Jesus and said, you're breaking the law, they're not talking about the Mosaic law or the biblical law, they're talking about their rules they set up. And again, they're saying, you're messing with who we are. 
And Jesus looks at them and does two very, very uh, startling things. Number one, he says, you know the things you hold most dear, the temple and your Sabbath? You know what he says? He says, there's someone here greater than the temple. And he, said, and he doesn't say, I'm Lord over the Sabbath. He says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. You know what he's saying? Is it all points to me. What a statement. Can you imagine why this infuriated the people so much? What do you mean you're greater than the temple? What do you mean that you're Lord of the Sabbath? And then he goes on and they begin to, and they put him in the second scenario. And they're like, okay, you're going to heal this man. Because again, against the Melkot law, you can't heal on the Sabbath. And you know what he says? He says, well, in your laws, you're allowed to rescue a sheep if he falls into a ditch. Which again, would have been their economic stability. He says, but you won't let me heal a man. So then he starts putting pushing even at their understanding of their socioeconomic system. Oh, so you're okay with saving your dollars, but not saving this man's health. And so at this point, the people are just infuriated. Like, you are messing with who we are, how we make money, everything we hold dear. And Jesus is just standing there saying, you guys are missing it. It's all about me. And so tonight we have, we have a, a job to do because we have to be able to hold the Sabbath and look at it through the lens of Jesus and not through the lens of religiosity. Because the Sabbath is not bad, right? The Sabbath is a gift. Sabbath creates freedom. But the minute you start viewing Sabbath through religion rather than through the lens of Jesus, then it actually begins to start doing the opposite. It no longer is a gift. All of a sudden, it's a burden. And no longer is it about freedom. It's about oppression. And this is exactly what's happened. A.J. Swoboda, in his book, Subversive Sabbath, says this, when all is said and done, the worst thing that has ever happened to Sabbath is religion. Religion is hostile to gifts. Religion hates free stuff. Religion squanders the good, I'm sorry, I totally misspelled that, not the food gifts. Religion squanders the good gifts of God by trying to earn them, which is why we will never really enjoy a sacred day of rest as long as we think our religion is about earning We will never really enjoy a sacred day of rest as long as we think our religion is about earning. You know what I love? Before these two encounters about Sabbath, one of the most quoted verses in the Bible uh, that Jesus says uh, happens literally just breaths before this. You know what it is? Matthew 11 says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, Jesus is the reason why he was willing to stir up the pot when it came to Sabbath is 
He's looking at Sabbath. He says, no, 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 no. It's not accomplishing what it was given for you to accomplish. So come to me. I will give you rest. I am going to give you what the Sabbath was always intended to give you in a more full sense. So how does he do that? How does he do that? Two things. Um, how is Jesus Lord of the Sabbath? Number one, the rest of salvation. Number two, the rest of eternity. So if you notice, we talked about in the Old Testament, the Sabbath is about two things. Number one, it's about gift. It's about freedom. And so Jesus takes these two concepts and he points them to himself. And he says, this, these are... The gift of the Sabbath was a shadow. The freedom of the Sabbath was a shadow of what I'm going to fulfill fully through my life, death, and resurrection on the cross. And so this is, this is what he does, which is, which is unbelievable. But before we dive into some scriptures, just to prove this, I want to read you a quote by Warren Worsby. He's a brilliant theologian. And he says, God's Sabbath rest is a type of our present rest of salvation. Following the finished work of Christ on the cross, it is also the picture of eternal Sabbath of glory. Israel's Canaan rest is similar to the life of victory and blessing that we gain as we walk by faith and claim our inheritance in Christ. So, let's break this down. Number one, the, the rest of salvation. So, go back with me to Genesis chapter 1. And we begin to start seeing this rhythm and this cadence that God has as he's creating. As he creates light and dark and he creates plants and animals and water and land. And at the end of every single day comes this phrase that says, it is what? Good. It is good. He makes this and it was the fourth day and God said, it is good. And at the end of the sixth day after he has created animals and then finally he creates man and women in his image, he sits back at all of his work and says, it is very good. But just because God says it is very good, keep this in mind, it is not complete. I was actually just having a conversation with someone about this. Isn't it interesting that something can be good and not finished? Because in the next chapter, we see Adam in the perfect presence of the garden, in the perfect presence of God, in the absence of sin, walking around. And you know what he experiences? Loneliness. When God says, it is not good for man to be alone. So at the end of creation, God says, it is good. This is very good. And in that moment, in all of its goodness, in, in the incredible statement that this God would say, everything I've built is good, it wasn't complete. And what's interesting is when we see the life of Jesus come in, we see not only this, this fracture to our system, but we'd be seeing Jesus as he comes into this and it begins to start reliving the life of Adam, the life that Adam failed to live, Jesus began to live perfectly. And obviously a climax is Jesus' life was all about always pointing towards the cross. And what I find really interesting is on the cross, there are seven statements that Jesus says. And on the sixth statement that Jesus says, in John chapter 19, verse 30, 
It says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. That on the cross, when the world was at its darkest, as Jesus is moments from giving his last breath, he says the word to stelestai, which means it is literally complete. It is finished. You see, what was missing in the beginning of that moment was that sense that it's done. It's finished. And so Sabbath leading up to that moment was always a foretaste. It was always a picture. It was an appetizer. It was a sense of someday there will be a rightness to the brokenness and incompleteness in the world. And even in the perfect Garden of Eden, God was already looking towards this moment when his own son hanging on a cross, bearing your own sin on his shoulders, would not just say it is good. He would say it is done. It's finished. Everything I have been working towards and building to has come to this moment, and that gift is now complete through the grace that is poured out through my blood. There's nothing left to give other than myself. And this is why, this is why the Sabbath was always pointing towards Jesus. Because for Jesus, he's the only one who could sit there in that moment and say, it's done. You now have rest. You now have a greater rest than Adam did on the very first day of creation. Can you imagine that? His very first day of existence, waking up, eyes opening to the colors and the sounds and the feeling and the taste of the clear water and the presence of God. Jesus on the cross says, what I'm doing for you now is superior to that moment because it's done. So my friends, when we Sabbath, and when we Sabbath centered around Jesus, we actually get to taste something that our forefathers, Moses and Isaiah and David and, and Jonathan Noah dreamt about. we get to have a finished Sabbath work in the presence of Jesus. But what if you're like, yeah, but this doesn't feel finished. It doesn't feel done because I still feel tired. My body is still sick. My loved one has just passed away. I'm still brokenhearted. There's still insufficient funds in my bank account. I still didn't get that promotion. So, Cool sermon, but it doesn't feel done for me. It still feels broken. I still feel tired. And what I would say to you is that we have been given a gift that the minute that we find ourselves connected to the gift of the presence of Jesus through his Holy Spirit, the entire world could be caving in around you and you can have safety and peace and reassurance in your heart. But it also points to a future hope. 
And this is what Warren Worsby was saying in that quote I just read. Not only is it the gift of a completed rest we have in Jesus, but it is also pointing towards something that will be an eternal Sabbath, an eternal rest. And so that sense you have of that tension of like, I get what you're saying, and yes, I understand the life we have in Jesus, but is there something more? And the answer to that is yes. Is it finished? Yes. Are we there yet? No. The finished work of the cross seals us. It anchors us to a reality that we will all experience when we enter into glory. See, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, the author of Hebrews is writing to Jewish people, and they have the question we're dealing with tonight. What do we do with the Sabbath? What, do we keep practicing the Sabbath? Because you guys are now practicing it on Sunday. So what do we do? Because we're Jewish followers of this Messiah, Jesus. And this is what the author of Hebrews says. In verse 8, it says, For if Joshua had given them rest, and he's talking about Joshua leading them from the desert into the promised land, God would not have spoken later about another day. Listen to verse 9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So do we still Sabbath? Yes. Verse 10. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work just as God did from his. And so what the author of Hebrews is saying is in the same way that Joshua led the Israelites from the desert into the promised land, this is exactly what Jesus is doing when we enter into that rest. He's leading us into an eternal Sabbath an eternal rest, where there'll be no more striving ever. Will there be work? Yes, but it'll be beautiful and life-giving and flourishing. It will not be tedious and taxing and back-breaking. It'll be an eternal sense of shalom. This is what Matthew 25, what Jesus says, and he talks about the parable. In verse 23, he talks, his master will reply, well done, good and faithful servant. Revelation describes this day, this eternal Sabbath, as a meal, which I love. In just a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. And the reason why we take communion every week is because it's pointing towards our eternal Sabbath. It reminds us of the marriage, fe- I'm sorry, the marriage feast of the Lamb. It reminds us of this place that someday we will sit at the table with Jesus and we will fully Sabbath. And not just understand and hold to the completeness of the cross, but to live in the reality of it without sin. In Revelation, at the very last book of the Bible, chapter 19, as John is having this vision, it's coming to the end. He has this part in verse 6. It says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of a rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. He added, these are the true words of God. I love this picture. And I I love studying about heaven and eternity and, and the reason why 
is as much as I believe 100% with all my heart that we have the gift of leaning into the Sabbath that Jesus gives us, the complete rest, the finished work of the cross, we still live in this kingdom of what is called the now and the not yet, this sense of God's kingdom advancing, but still the presence of darkness in our world. There are days where I am just homesick. I long for that, that, this picture. I long for this sense of heaven and earth coming together and everything that has been wrong will be made right. Everything that has been sorrowful will be turned to joy. Everything that is sad will become untrue in the words of my children's storybook Bible. And so if you're here tonight, chances are that you need to be leaning into one of these two pictures. Some of you, You've been listening to Sabbath and you've been feeling convicted like, man, I need to take more time to rest. I need to do that. And tonight you need to, this is not about you taking a day off. This is about you resting in Jesus. And there's a massive difference. It's about you resting in the finished work of the cross. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then you can have a killer day off, but you'll be tired the next day. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus who's, who's come and he's let you, given you a rest that you can't get on your own, then even the greatest vacation will feel lacking. Because it is only through a relationship with Jesus that we experience not just things being good, but things being complete. And so that would be my encouragement to you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe this is your opportunity tonight. And secondly, if you have a relationship with Jesus, but you have failed to spend a disciplined, intentional time with him each week and each day, tonight a, is a gentle calling to a place where you can do that again, where your Sabbath is centered around Jesus. But the, secondly, tonight... Uh, some of you are in a place where you, you understand that and you get that and, and you're just in a place that you need to be reminded that there is something waiting for you. I love Psalm 23's picture and we keep talking about this that as David writes this psalm, he has this picture of this table, this feast, which I believe is a prophetic picture of the wedding feast of the Lamb where Yahweh is literally preparing the table in the presence of where the enemy's looking on, powerless and chained. And some of you tonight just need to be reminded that there will be a day where your bodies will not hurt anymore. There will be a day for some of you in here where your heart will not hurt anymore. And that tonight you can just leave here with communion as a foretaste of you understanding that part of the finished work of the cross means that there will be a day where all darkness will be gone. So why do we Sabbath? We Sabbath because Jesus has finished the work. And we Sabbath also because it reminds us of where we belong. It reminds us of where we're going. It reminds us when we stop from our work that God has already completed the work. So I'm going to invite Brandon and Ashley to come up. And as we're doing, I just want to tell you this, this story. Um, 
years, years back, uh, Jen and I had this opportunity to go to this pastor's getaway in this, this place called Genesee Home. And it's this really uh, sweet couple named Charlie and Bev. And they ran this beautiful farmhouse called the Genesee Home. And they would have pastors come up there. And they would stay for a week. And there was no internet and no phone. Sounds like my life right now. Um, And for a whole week, you weren't allowed to do anything. So every meal was prepared for you. All the dishes were done. Um, uh, There was no, again, there's no media. So you can read books. You can take a bike ride. And so I just want to describe this experience. So we get up there, and, and at this point in Jenna's life, we were like youth pastors. I think we had a couple kids at the time. We were super exhausted, and we're like ready. We're like, oh, vacation, ready for this time off. And we get to Genesee home, and the first day we just slept. Like, this is what I remember. I remember sleeping in, starting to read a book, and falling asleep again. And, like, my, my, my first detox was just sleep. I didn't have any of that. And then around the second or third day, I started kind of feeling antsy. Like, they would, like, pick up my dishes, and I'd be like, can, can I help? Like, this feels weird. Like, you guys just keep doing stuff for us, and we just sit. This is incredibly awkward. And they're like, no, this is part of the thing. You're not allowed to do anything. And so it was... And so I remember it went from feeling really nice to really awkward. And then around like day like three or four, I actually started just feeling anxious. I'm like, I'm trapped. (laughs) I got to do something. (laughs) I don't know what to do. I'm like going on runs, like in cow fields, like riding bikes. I'm like, this is just like cool, but like it's just starting to get weird. And I remember like around day five or six, it was like a week into it without getting any internet, cell phone service, nothing to do other than just rest. That I had one of the most incredible moments with God I've ever had in my life. And he didn't tell me to like move or change jobs or like some huge thing. It was just his presence. But the amount of detox it took just to get to that place was unbelievable, and I've never had experience since then, right? Like, because real life doesn't allow for that, right? You have small kids running around this week. Some of them were puking, and we're trying to do that and unpack, unpack a box. I mean, like, I get that this is messy. But what I love about the message of tonight is that this is not some religious act. This is a relational gift. If you have Jesus, you can have rest. And it may be intention, it'll take intention. Sometimes it'll be hard. And sometimes it may even feel backwards for you to just stop what you're doing and turn your phone off and not do something and just sit there. And it may take a while for you even to feel anything at all. But my encouragement to you is where there's Jesus, there's rest. And one thing in our short time pastoring here in Encinitas is what I've known is people do not have rest. They don't have fun. They don't have to take a vacation. But rest, the kind that Jesus offers, is something that we will never have enough of until our eternal Sabbath begins.
So what we're going to do right here in this moment is we're going to take communion together. And as you come up, take off some bread and you dip it in the cup. This might be the only time in your week where you just get to stop. But man, press into it. Press into this moment of just being like, man, I need, I need to spend some time with Jesus. I need what he can give me that even a great binge-watching season two of Friends won't give me, right? Even a great latte by the beach won't give me. I need Jesus. I need the rest he can give. But I also need to be reminded that someday I will have an eternal rest. So would you bow your heads with me?